Let's hear from the Lord. Are you hungry for his word? I'm hungry. And what a great time in worship we've had this morning. We're going to the Gospel of John. Will you stand with me if, as we read this passage this morning? The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Let's pray. Lord, it's been, it's been a long week, and we've been walking for a long time, and we are tired from our journey. Can we, this morning, can we sit down next to you for a while? Would you, Lord, come and sit here with us in this place, speak to us and refresh us, revive us with living water, because we are thirsty for you, in Jesus' name, and everyone said. You may be seated. So, in 1997, we took this trip to Washington, D.C. It was me, and it was my dad, and about three million other men. It was a prayer gathering called Stand in the Gap. It was organized by Promise Keepers. Does anyone remember this event in 1997? Some of the, some of the people my age or older, whatever. Listen, no matter, no matter what I see going on in our country today, what I see in the headlines or whatever, I will never forget being in that place like a speck in an ocean of millions of men who gathered to pray and to seek God and to lift up the name of Jesus. The church is strong, it is mighty, and needs a refreshing from God, amen? But this was a huge event. As far as your eyes could see, uh, men of all colors and all ages were calling on God from the Washington Monument down to the Capitol and all the buildings and streets on, on every side. It was, it was a prayer meeting of biblical proportions. It was awesome, and it was exciting, and there's an energy when crowds gather, am I right? There's this excitement, and uh, the apostles told us that we should never give up meeting together. Jesus, the king, said that he would come himself even if it's just two or three, right? But it's exciting when there's a big gathering, you know, like in a big service, uh, like a Sunday or a big event where the building is packed out and there's no available seats. There's this electricity that happens in the air. There's an anticipation that something good is about to happen, right? And now, see, this is happening for Jesus, but now he's leaving this growing crowd of followers. It must be because there's an even bigger crowd waiting for him somewhere. Let's go see in verse 7. It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? 
Jesus never does what we expect him to do, does he? I mean, he never does the thing that we would do. If we were packing out the house, we would do what? We would be adding more services. We would be building another building. We would be, you know, rolling out some podcasts, a TV show, radio shows. We'd be doing all that stuff. But here it says that Jesus leaves the crowd. Jesus knew not only what the Pharisees were hearing about him, but what they were thinking about him. I'll never forget being in Israel and having the privilege, we were walking around this excavation of the home of Caiaphas. He was the man who occupied the seat of the high priest at the time of Jesus. Do you know what this man had in his backyard? Prison pits. I don't know. I mean, would it seem weird to you if, if your pastor like invited you over for dinner and you look in the backyard and there's like human cages in the backyard? I mean, maybe skip dessert, kind of awkward, Right? Religion had become corrupt at the highest levels, and this is when Messiah appears to show the way. And the people are responding to Jesus. They're not turning out for the Pharisees. They are running to Jesus. And Jesus knows that murderous and jealous thoughts are brewing in these corrupt men. And he also knows that at the right time, God is going to use even these wicked men and their plans to accomplish his purpose, right? But for now, Jesus heads north to Galilee. And on the way, he and his disciples pull over at the Sikhar rest stop, right? And for most of this chapter, it's just this conversation with one woman at this well. I mean, she's not sick, she's not lame or blind, but she gets like the bulk of this chapter. It feels maybe disproportionate to, you know, things in the story, right? I mean, this is not the Sermon on the Mount. This is not the resurrection. This is not the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which, by the way, happened in front of a huge crowd. This is just one conversation with one woman at a well in Samaria. She's not even Jewish. Quick history lesson about this place. We're going to dig into the Bible. Is anyone excited when you dig into the Bible? We're going to go deep. I hope you brought your shovels. It says here, John makes the point of mentioning that this property was once held by the patriarch Jacob. And there's a field here that he deeded to his son, Joseph. And if you grew up in church, the stories are already clicking. You remember the story of Joseph, right? This is, goes all the way back to Genesis 37. You remember Joseph's dreams and the coat of colors and the betrayal by his brothers, the slavery, the imprisonment, and God uses it all. He gives Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. It was a warning of a global crisis, a famine that was coming, and Joseph himself is put in charge charge of a seven-year plan to store grain, a plan to literally save the world from starvation. And the Egyptians give Joseph this name, Zaphonath Paneah. It means God speaks and gives life. God speaks and gives life. Say that. God speaks and gives life. Every time you speak, God, you bring life into us. So speak to us today in your word. Now, fast forward in time. Remember, Israel falls into sin. The nation divides into Israel and Judah. And Assyria comes in and takes Israel. They move in with all their idol worship. And then it says that God, this is in 2 Kings, God sends in lions to start eating the idol worshipers. All right. So the Assyrians roll in, and they relocate the Israelis to labor camps. 
and then they bus in all these foreigners from all over the empire to go live in Samaria. It's in 2 Kings 17. Let's read it. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. So, interesting. So, transplanting foreigners as a population replacement is a technique of tyranny, at least as old as the ancient Assyrians. Why does this sound familiar? Because those who are behind it happening now are doing it for the same reasons. Replace the people, replace the government. See, but God messes up their plan, give him praise in his house. He messes up, he's like, here, kitty, kitty. The, and the Assyrians, they, they go running back to their king, Shalmaneser, and they say, uh, uh, apparently the God of this area doesn't like the things that we're doing, and he's sending lions to eat us. So the king of Assyria says, you better get some Jewish rabbis in there and school them on how not to tick off the God of Israel and end up on Simba's dinner plate, right? So so Samaria becomes this half-and-half half kingdom. It's, it's mixed spiritually. It's mixed physically. They're, they're a mixed race, half Jewish, half Gentile, half chosen people, half pagan, idol-worshiping meow mix. And it says here that they, in, in verse 33, they worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. So they're all like, yeah, yeah, no, we go to synagogue. We, we, you know, we honor the Sabbath, but, but we love doing all this pagan stuff too. And so the Jewish people despise the Samaritans. They're unclean, they're impure, they're compromising. They are disqualified. They are unworthy people. And here is where we find Jesus. I don't know about you. Is anybody glad that Jesus came to find some disqualified people, some unworthy people, some unclean? Anybody with me on this? Jesus left the crowd. He walked away from all the lights. He walks away from the music. He leaves the 99 and he goes looking for one. Thank you, Jesus. Does Jesus know the history of this place? Does, does Jesus know who's going to be coming out here at noon to get water by herself? Does he know why she's not coming early in the morning with all the other girls from Sikhar? Yeah, he knows all this. And like a dad who's going hunting with his little kids, he sends them back to the truck to go get a snack because they're making too much noise and he does not want to lose this, this white tail buck that just showed up, right? Jesus is king. He is Lord of all. And he has a plan and a purpose for finding you where you are. He knows we're broken. He knows we're limited. He knows that we're focused on the wrong things and we get caught up in the things we think we need. So he comes as one in need, exhausted, and he rests by the well and he asks a mixed race woman for a drink. But see, what's really happening here is Jesus asks her to give him something that she needs because Jesus has something to give that she needs more. Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God that he has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. And where would you get this living water? And besides, 
Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus said. (laughs) I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with. You certainly spoke the truth. Boom. Jesus reads her mail, right? Have you ever had this happen, right, with Jesus? Right? But did you see what she's doing here? She tries to pull a fast one on Jesus. I mean, look, before we start trying to judge her, can we just all get honest here? Everyone here, everyone watching this at some point, we have all lied We've all lied to somebody. You lied to your parents about something. You lied to a teacher about something. You lied to your friend. You lied to somebody at some point. Either a straight up lie that you said, or you just kind of carefully recrafted the story to leave out some details to make you look good. Either way, that's all lies, right? And we've all told them. And the worst lies are the ones that we tell ourselves. Have you ever, have you ever caught yourself talking to God and even praying something that wasn't completely truthful. Being, you know, you're praying to you catch yourself. You're like, I'm sorry. I, 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 now that I said that out loud, that was dumb. That was not honest. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Look, why do people lie? Why do people do this? Fear. And most of our fears come from a fear of not enough love. We go through an experience that convinces us there is not enough love to be able to tell the truth and still be loved. To open up about how I really feel and not be rejected. There's not enough. And yet God says, I am love. And where you have him, there's more than enough. Sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Is this like the most infuriating conversation for Jesus at this point? I, I mean, he's trying to give her deep truth that's never going to fade, that will never diminish, and she keeps doing what? Deflecting onto old offenses. She's bringing up an old church split from like hundreds of years ago. She's like, oh, you can give me living water, huh? Aren't you in the wrong neighborhood? Hmm? Well, where's your bucket? Oh, you're a prophet, huh? Well, then tell me where we should worship. Tell me the answer to the big controversy, this mountain or that one. Like, like, lady, the Savior of the world just showed up. He made a journey, immeasurable journey, just to get to you and talk to you and give you living water, and you want to go on with Jesus about critical race theory and, and some, like, religious debate video that you watched, and, and where's his rope and bucket? No, right? But we kind of do this, too, with God. Which, which of these people do you love, God? Do you love the, the vaxxers or the anti-vaxxers? God, do you love people who wear masks or the people who don't wear masks? God, do you love the A's or the giants? 
Do you love the Raiders or the 49ers, right? We, wanna, we want to pick sides, and we love to pick sides, right? And we want to nail God down on who did you vote for in the last election, God? You probably already noticed our governor just decided he, now he has the power to control the health care of millions of families and children in our, in our state and mandate that they've got to get a shot just to attend public and private school. Parents, you do realize there's a fight that's on right now, don't you? America is divided, and these divisions are growing bigger. The mountain that this Samaritan woman is referring to, Mount Gerizim, means the mountain of division. And we're there right now in this country. Abraham Lincoln presided over a civil war in a divided America, and he said this, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. But see, there's a temptation here, isn't it? Just to prove the point, to be right. Forget being good. Just win the argument. Remember remember when Joshua leads the people into the promised land? And he knows there's going to be a lot of fights, right? And he's thinking about this. A series of wars. And what does he do? He goes off to pray, and it says in Joshua chapter 5, when he was near Jericho, that he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? What was the answer? Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? See, don't you dare try and nail God, almighty God, into some man-made box or to get, squeeze God into your group. Be concerned, be much more concerned with being in his group. See, Jesus checks the none of the above, and he says in verse 21, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus shows up here in the middle. He meets us where we are today, right now, in this moment. And she's asking, who's right? Which place is right? And Jesus said, it's not on that mountain. It's not on the other one. Worship me here and now in spirit and in truth. He owns the whole world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is Lord of every man and woman and boy and girl who ever was or is or ever will be. And the day is coming when every corrupt government will be broken and every nation will be absorbed into his everlasting kingdom. That is his birthright and that is his divine destiny. But she's caught in the past. And many times we get caught in the past too, don't we? And Jesus is showing her the future. He's saying, let go of the past. I have a new and a better future for you. You're stuck in old arguments. You're stuck in old divisions and old thinking, old habits that have left you dry and thirsty. But I have something new for you. 
Worship is not a location on a map. It's a position of your heart. God is spirit. He's not confined to a body. He's everywhere at the same time and he's to be honored everywhere by everyone who will simply come with a humble heart and turn from their sin and adore him with a pure conscience. Because of Jesus, you have lived these words in your life that she was hearing for the first time. You were, you were just going about cleaning your house and you thought you were alone, but while you were cleaning your house and worshiping Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit came into your room, didn't he? And when you were mowing the lawn and you were just listening to the Bible, the Holy Spirit came and he just began to speak something into your heart. You were driving down the highway, wiping tears down your cheeks because you were worshiping Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit just swooped down into traffic and filled the cab of your vehicle with his glory and his presence. And if you know what I'm talking about, give God praise in his house this morning. Worship him in spirit and in truth. First Corinthians chapter six, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Come to church, come to pray, come and sing, come and worship Jesus, but never forget that you are the church. You are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And there's only one purpose for a temple, for him to come and fill us with his presence, receive the gift that Christ has come to give and be filled with his Holy Spirit. Fun geography fact here. The place where this conversation is happening where this well was built. Sikar sits in a valley at the feet of a mountain that's split in two. And one hill peak is called Mount Ebal. And the other is called Mount Gerizim. And this was the place where Moses commanded Joshua and the people to ratify his covenant once they entered the promised land. It's in Deuteronomy 27. When you have crossed the Jordan... These tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. I want you to imagine this moment. They finally walked into the land and Joshua divides the tribes. Some go up onto Ebal to pronounce curses. Others go up onto Gerizim to pronounce blessings. And the people would turn and face Ebal for every curse listed in the word. And they would turn and face Gerizim for every blessing of God listed in the word. So the entire nation of Israel is on these two mountains. On one, curses are being spoken. On the other, blessings are being spoken. Where do you think the Ark of the Covenant was? The presence of God, the mercy seat where the sacrifice was applied. Which mountain? Neither. It was in the middle. Between the mountains with the people. Between the blessings and the curses. And here is where God meets us in the middle Can't go back to the beginning. Can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I know here in the middle is the place you promised to be. See, maybe you feel like if you could just climb that mountain of blessing 
and get a fresh perspective. If I could just get, if I could keep working at it, I could earn the presence of God. No, he's here with his people, fully God, fully man, here with us. And the kingdom is here now, but it's also awaiting fulfillment in the future, right? And we're here in the middle. And we're, we're a bit of a mixed breed too, right? We're children of the king, heirs of Christ, redeemed, but also stuck in this flesh, cursed with temptation and sin. And we're constantly wrestling, drawn to eternity and the eternal blessing of his promise, but pulled by the world and selfishness and the curse. Have you ever felt stuck in the middle, wondering, where are you, God? Where is God? Jesus, our Emmanuel, has come. He came to find us. He is the miracle in the middle, waiting for us in a thirsty place. And Jesus proves here in the story with a random woman on this random trip at a random well that none of it is random. No, he came looking for her. He came to find her at exactly the place she was going to be, at exactly the time she was going to show up on purpose for a purpose. She was out here at noon for a reason. She wasn't chatting it up with her besties in Sikar, right? For a reason. She was, she was hiding. She was avoiding. But Jesus shows up in the places you're trying to hide. And when you taste living water, you don't hide anymore. You don't hide what you did or where you've been because finally you know who it was that saved you. It was not your deeds or your wisdom or your righteousness because that's all garbage to him. No, it was Jesus and the things that I hid that he rescued me from are now just a billboard to put on the highway and say, look, look how I screwed up. Look at the damage I caused. Look at the wounds that others put on me. But Jesus came and found me. He found me in a thirsty place and he met me in the shame and the hiding and he didn't pretend that it wasn't real. No, he showed up in the place I was hiding and he was there and he was asking me for something that I need. Jesus shows up asking for you to give the stuff that you really need. Not what you think you need, but what you really need. Does the Alpha and Omega really need my worship? Does the King of Kings need my gift? Do I have anything that I could possibly offer that would make Jesus more great or good or worthy? No, he came to help me. He came to find me, to benefit me, to set me free. The only thing that he ever took from me was my sin and bondage. In exchange, he gives me freedom and he gives me living water. Give him praise. I was watching this video, it's a, this, it was about a woman, and this, this lady, she's just kind of made this her thing, where she goes out and she finds these abused dogs that have been starved or beaten or left somewhere, and she rescues them, and she brings them home, and she heals them and helps them. And this one video that I, I came across, she spent several hours trying to coax this, this shaking dog that she found into her car so she could take it home to mend it, to care for it. And finally, she gets it to get into the car, into the passenger seat, and she puts her phone or camera on the dash as they're driving down the road. And there comes this moment where this dog, it like dawns on it that it's in the presence of someone who loves it. And it just leans over and it puts its head on her shoulder. And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, if you only knew 
I wonder, do you know him? And I don't want you to just answer that compulsively. I, I want you to sit with that. I want to sit with that and soak in this question, do I really know him? Do I know who I'm talking to? Do I know who's speaking to me when I pray? Do I know the one who was so close to me on the cross that he doesn't even call my sins mine? He calls them his own. Who is with me every day, almighty God, unchanging and eternal. One word and the universe was created. One word from him and the dead come to life. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. We want it explained to us, don't we? We want it all laid out. Google it for me. Show me the plan. Give me the theory of everything, then I'll believe. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Jesus wants you to know. He doesn't want you to know stuff or data. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know who. We wish we knew stuff, right? We, we want to know which newscast to believe, what's going to happen with the stock market, what's happening with the economy. We keep asking God, pour out your Holy Spirit and reveal yourself. What if he's doing that, but not in the way that you think it was going to happen? What if all the upheaval and the conflict and the battles is just so that you would quit looking at this mountain or that mountain, the the, the blessing or the curse and realize who is standing right here in the middle with you. Because if you did, come on, if you did, you wouldn't be wound up in the externals. You wouldn't be debating with God. And we do that just like she did. You wouldn't, you would be just asking, God, give me more, speak to me more, tell me more. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there's no greater thing you're my all and you're my best. You're my joy and righteousness. Data will not satisfy your thirst. Information cannot heal your heart. We have more knowledge today than in any, all the other ages combined. But we're starving, starving to know him, depressed and stressed and distracted because we don't know who is speaking to us. Because if we did, we would ask him for living water and he would pour it out on us. Instead, you know, we just run to everybody else who also don't have what we need, right? I need more time. I need more money. I need more energy. I'm not getting enough respect or love. You're not supposed to. You can't carry that. No one else has it either. And if the whole world just decided today to give you all the money and all their love and all their resources for your personal benefit, you would be no better off than you are sitting right here right now. And why is that? Because we are not changed by just consuming endlessly. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? 
John chapter seven, Jesus says, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Because of Jesus, life is not about what I can grab or what I can hold or what I consume because I have Jesus, I have everything that I need. No, I have more than enough because he lives in me, because love himself lives in me. I can give it away freely. And some of you are thinking, well, that's nice to love Jesus and to have Jesus, but I still got bills that need to get paid. I still gotta buy some groceries. My family needs a roof over their head. That's exactly what she was thinking when she says, give me this water so I never have to come back to this well. Make everything perfect for me right now, Jesus. No, because heaven is for you, but it's not just for you. Putting all your trust in Jesus and receiving eternal life from him doesn't mean we get instantly you know, taken to heaven, all, every problem is fixed. No, he was also thinking about the entire town of Sychar. Jesus came to find you. He came looking for you. But he's also thinking about Yuba City. He loves Yuba City. And your bucket is not big enough to carry his plan in it. Jesus was tired, Jesus was thirsty, but did you notice he never gets water in this story, right? What he gets, the nourishment he gets is when her faith meets God's love, right? Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. I have a question. We come every Sunday and we pray for the heavens to open up and that he would pour out his presence and his spirit on us. But when was the last time that you prayed that you would open up and pour out on heaven? We say we love Jesus, but he asked, please, give me a drink. When was the last time you opened up your heart and you poured out everything on him? Not the, oh God, see, I made a flow chart this week and I made a PowerPoint of all my problems so that you can fix them in the right order and make it all go away. No, I'm talking about opening up every window and door of your heart, every compartment of your soul and pouring it out on him and saying, it's all yours. If praise is like perfume, I'll lavish mine on you till every drop is gone. I'll pour my love on you. All of me loves you, the good and the bad and the ugly parts and the parts that look messy and don't make sense. I'm yours, Jesus, and there's no one and nothing else that could satisfy me. If every prayer I had was answered, but I didn't have you, I'm lost. Jesus, you're my desire. You are the one that I thirst for every day and every moment. God, I get so confused sometimes thinking that I need anyone or anything else. But you're the best part of my day. God, your presence. I'm sorry for the times that you came asking me for a drink. And I was so busy keeping up appearances or too busy focused on things that don't matter. You asked me for a drink. But I was the one who was dried up. 
I didn't even know how thirsty I was, God, until you stopped me, until you found me. It reminds me of my kids. And they'll be running around doing all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? And what happens, you know, they're playing, they're doing stuff. And one minute after we get in the car, what do they ask? I'm thirsty. Is there anything to drink? (laughs) They did not even realize how dehydrated they were until they were still. Stop running. All week, you're racing around from appointment to appointment, from need to responsibility. You're trying to fill all the expectations and the stress and the worries. Would you, would you just stop for a moment with Jesus and listen? Because if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask, and he would give you living water. And if you're here today and you're listening to this anywhere, Jesus Christ is saying to you, I see you, I see you in the place where you've been hiding, where you feel invisible, and you're wondering if anyone notices how empty and how lost and thirsty you really are. I do, I see it, I hear, and I'm here. This woman had five husbands, and she was shacking up with number six, labeled by her ethnicity, labeled by her neighbors for her dysfunction and her failures because of all the men she couldn't satisfy or couldn't satisfy her. And when she finally understood who was speaking to her, she dropped her bucket and she left that empty container at the foot of the one who satisfies, no longer rejected, now she's satisfied and accepted by him. No longer does she need a container because what God wants to give you cannot be contained. Jesus is bringing you a miracle here in the middle. What God wants to give you is not going to fit inside your little bucket. It's uncontainable. You will never control what he wants to give you. You will never confine what he has to give or manage it. It's bigger than your capacity, and he's always available, and he is more than enough. Give him praise. See, the reason we have all these containers is because we want to store stuff, right? to sock it away for when we need it so we can ration it. What are you trying to contain God's blessings in? What's your container? What's your bucket? Is it your bank account or your house or your career? Mine's my abilities, the the things that I can do probably more accurately, the things that I can't do. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm thinking, if I only could, if I had more skill, if I could just, if I could be better at this, I mean, can, can we just be transparent, right? I mean, because I get stressed out about this stuff. It's like chasing a moving target. And I keep trying to build a bigger bucket. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I keep trying to get better at stuff, but it's never going to be enough because it wasn't meant to be. Because what he has for me can't be contained. I've been in music ministry for 30 years, but you've never seen me lead a set from that piano over there. I can't play it. My hands are mute. (laughs) But God never needed my skill to use my worship. It wasn't my skill that he came looking for when he came looking for me. It was just a yielded heart. See, and through the years, the Holy Spirit still says, I'm here every time that I invite him into my heart. Not because of my skill, but because of his generous love. 
that he gives generously to everyone who asks. Dad's been asking me to, you know, preach more regularly the last, you know, few years, and man, I agonize over the messages. I wish I could sit down at a computer, you know, and just like, you know, burn it out. My, like my fingers are on fire and smoke coming out of the keyboard. No, it's like hours of research and and there's like at least four drafts of this thing before every Sunday. And I, and I ask God, why am I like this? If I, was, if I was better at this, my family and my team would be so much happier. <laughs> Instead of having to deal with my process. Because my abilities are not enough compared to the need. And it was never meant to be, was it? There is something that I, there is something that I am meant to be. And that is His And when that commitment to just be his is there, to worship him, to belong to him, see, he comes, doesn't he? And he meets us in the middle. And he is everything that we are not. See, we get caught up in the idea that being better and being more makes us more lovable somehow. But it's not our ability. It's not our outward appearance that God is looking at. He's looking at our heart. That's what he wants to fill. And once Jesus spoke to this woman, she drops her bucket and she ran to tell everybody in town, a town full of people that she's been avoiding. Everyone who was judging and rejecting her, now she's shouting her flaws and her weaknesses. Why? So that Jesus can be glorified. Listen, when you drink living water, you become a spring of of water welling up. You're no longer ashamed of the places that were inadequate because now it's a place for him to show off his glory in you. Look at Jesus. It's not about me. It never was. You know I'm not good enough, but he is the best. See, when Satan comes to bring up your past, it's to make you hide. It's to bury you in shame and condemnation like that woman by herself at noon, avoiding everyone. But when Jesus brings up your past, it's to set you free and to show you that his love for you is stronger. His grace for you is greater than your past. His mercy is more. And if you've experienced the amazing grace of God, will you give him praise in his house this morning? Thank you, Jesus. And everyone here or anyone else watching this online, I don't want you to just take my word for it. He says in, it says in verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we heard him for ourselves. And now we know 
that he is indeed the savior of the world. I don't ever want you to sit in this room or listen to words or just believe it without really knowing Jesus for yourself. I can only say what he has spoken to me. I can only share what he has given. I know Jesus, I have experienced this. He met me, he came to me and met me at a well. Jesus was waiting for me somewhere in the middle, tired, trying to fill my bucket with just enough to get through another day, another week, and I didn't even, wasn't even looking for him. He found me in the places that I thought I was alone and unworthy. And he pointed to the hurt and said, I want to fill this part. I want to heal this wound. I heard you crying across eternity. And I planned the entire timeline of history so that you and I could have a moment right here and now. Not so you could hear it from a priest or from a teacher or from anyone else, but that you could hear my voice saying to you so you could know what it is for me to say, I am. Taste and see that I am good. Ask me, seek me, find me, I will be found by you. If you only knew who was talking to you, you would ask and he would give it to you. Worship team, would you come? See, We read the part of the history of the town. It says when Joshua led God's people into the promised land, they came to this spot and they they ratified the covenant there. And the curses echoed down from Mount Ebal. And the blessings echoed down from Mount Gerizim. And there in the middle was the ark of God's presence. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. See, he came to this place, and he met a woman in the middle, between the curses and the blessings. When Jesus was crucified, they put him on a cross between two thieves, and one cursed him, and one blessed him, and there in the middle was Jesus saving you finding you in your thirst, taking away all of your shame. And he rose again. The tomb is empty. And because Jesus lives, you can live too. Do you know who is speaking to you? Because if you knew, if you really knew, you would ask and he would give. So let's let this place and this building be a well for us this morning. I invite everyone in here to stand up right now and lift your hands and ask Jesus to pour out his Holy Spirit on you right now, to let streams of living water flow up from within you. Open up your mouth and begin to ask the one who gives it because it will flow out from you to everyone else. This is your moment. Cry out to God this morning for rivers of living water. Jesus, you're everything to us. Pour out eternal life on us now, the power of your grace. And if you're here in this room or you're watching online, Jesus is calling you. He is speaking to you. That tug in your heart is the Holy Spirit drawing you to receive life from Jesus. This is for you. He came for you just like he came for her. Your past is not important. Your future is. Jesus wants you to have a future rejoicing in heaven with God.
If that's you, would you pray out loud with me? Lord, I'm a sinner. You know it. I know it. I've done wrong and I've failed to do right. But instead of rejecting me, Jesus, you're accepting me. You're choosing me. I'm thirsty, Lord. Give me your living water. Wash away all my sin. I'm leaving the past behind. You set me free. I am never looking back. Today, I am following you, Jesus. You are Lord, you are King, and you are my God. Keep me by your power until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name. Come on, rejoice, church. 